Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, let's pray beyond good. God, I thank you for each and every person here. God, we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to be life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. My prayer is that they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Family, hold up your Bibles, no matter what form they take, and let's say our Bible confession together. Let's talk about our good book. Ready? Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus name. Amen. Uh, family, really quick Smith story for you. You know, I don't know if you notice or if you guys probably even watch me that close. But lately I've been wearing my old glasses. And I'm talking about old glasses, meaning they're my prescriptions probably from close to four years ago. I get a new kind of what do they call it prescription from the eye person. Yeah. So for, for some progressives from the eye. And these are progressives. But the thing that was interesting was. The lady told me when she finished my writing my new script, she says to me, she says, now, listen, I'm surprised that your old prescription is still that good. We only had to tweak your near vision for like reading. So your prescription is almost the same. She says, that's amazing. I said, well, thank you. I go to a different place to get them made. The first pair I get, just something's not right with them. I just it, it's just messed me up. So I take it back to them. And this is close to maybe two months later. Take it back to them. They remake them in another pair, different frames. They still, I'm just messed up. I just, I, I, I can't use them. Going downstairs, I'm literally almost falling because the stairs are looking, looking weird. I'm like, okay, I'm not new to progressives. Something, something's got to be up. I take my new glasses to another place to get them, you know, inspected. Check these out. Let me know if this, so the person looks at them and whatever they do back there to figure out how your prescription is. They, they said the prescription is right, but they got your lenses set wrong. They said the way they have them set, they're way too high, and these glasses are not good for far vision. They're only good really for intermediate vision because of where they're set. So I'm like, ain't that a blip? 
I, listen, I've been driving in them, going up and down stairs in them, crossing the street in them, got my family in the car in them. But let me tell you something, and I want you to say this with me. Never dismiss a hunch from God. I, I, I kept telling Greg, I say, something's not right with these glasses. And they would remake them. I'm telling you, something's not right with these glasses. And finally, I said, bump it. I'm going to just use my old ones until we can figure this out. And that's what God said to me. He said, sometimes we go through life and we got hunch after hunch after hunch. We just dismiss it. We just keep dismissing it. And the very thing that happens to us because we dismissed it could have been avoided if we had not dismissed the hunch. Very different Smith story for you. But the lesson is, when the Spirit of God gives you a hunch about something, move. Don't put it off. It can be call a friend. Reach out to your mama. Call. Why ain't been talking to my mama? Call your mama. Do something nice for that coworker. Just do it. Because that hunch can be tied to something that's far more beneficial than you know. All right. Beyond good. This is going to be my first message in the series. Thank, give God some praise for Pastor Shalita. She brought this thing in. Yep, yep. She brought it in very nicely. So thank you for that, Miss Pastor uh, Evangelist Superwoman Shalita. <laughs> and author Shalita. Give God some praise for that. Soon to be conference presenter on Jimmy Kimball. Oh, yeah, let's speak it. We, we can speak it. Because we know once God gives the resources in the hands of a believer, the world is better. Okay. Today, I'm going to be very, very parental. I'm your papa pastor today, really, I'm, I'm operating in that. And so what I want to talk to you about is something that I have to tell you. And when I tell it to you, I don't want you to, I don't want you to, to shake it off. Of course, we're going to put a lot of sugar and honey on it, so don't worry about that. Your medicine will go down good. And this medicine for me, too, because, listen, as I was studying it, I was taking tablespoon after tablespoon after tablespoon, peel after peel after peel. But it's necessary. Let's get into this thing. As you all know, we have been talking, at least I have been talking to you about Moses, his life, and how that can give us some insights. We have been specifically focusing on Exodus chapters 1 through 4. And in those chapters, what you find is you find a little bit of snippet before Moses was born. You find some things about when Moses, when he was born. And then you finally get to, in chapter 3 and most of chapter 4, this whole burning bush experience. I'm going to direct you to chapter 3, verse 1, in the easy-to-read version. And in the easy-to-read version, what we have here is Moses is shepherding sheep, 
And God is getting ready to speak to him out of this burning bush. It says this, Moses, verse 1, Moses' father-in-law named, was named Jethro. Jethro was the priest of, priest of Midian. Moses took care of Jethro's sheep. One day, Moses led the sheep to the west side of the desert. He went to a mountain called Horeb, the mountain of God. On that mountain, Moses saw the angel of the Lord in a burning bush. Moses saw that the bush was burning without being destroyed, so he decided to go take a closer look, closer, go closer to the bush and see how the bush could continue burning without being burned up. The Lord saw Moses coming to look at the bush, so he called to him from the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, yes, Lord. And God is going to go in and say, hey, listen, I've been looking at my children down in Egypt, and they've been having a bad time at it. What I want you to do is I want you, Moses, to go down to Egypt, and I want you to lead our people out of Egypt. And here is Moses' response. Notice this. Verse 10 or 11, whichever one it is. Verse 11. Easy to read still. But Moses said to God, I am not a great man. How can I be the one to go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, Moses right here, he's talking out of fear. He's afraid to go. He doesn't say that that directly. But that's the deal. God picks up on it, though. And when God picks up on it, he acknowledges his fear. Now, look at the same verse, except the verse before or the verse in the verse after it. So verses 10 through 12 in the voice Bible. Verse 10, God is talking. So I am sending you back to Egypt as my messenger to Pharaoh. I want you to gather my people, the children of Israel, and bring them out of Egypt. Moses says this to God. He says, who am I to confront Pharaoh and Pharaoh and lead Israel's children out of Egypt? God says, what does he say to him? Do not fear, Moses. I will be with you every step of the way. God acknowledges this man's fear. He acknowledges his fear. And guess what? He acknowledges it, I believe, because Moses's fear. I mean, it's. It's justifiable. When he left Egypt some 40 some odd years ago, he didn't leave on the best of terms. The Pharaoh at the time who was there wanted to kill him. Notice this. Let's read that. This is that account in Exodus chapter two. You can move forward. Thank you. Exodus chapter two, the voice 13 through 15. He, meaning Moses, he went out again the next day and saw two of his Hebrew brothers fighting with each other. Moses confronted the offender. Moses said, why are you hitting your friend? The offender said, who made you our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Because Moses had killed somebody. Fear immediately gripped Moses. Moses said to himself, the news of what I did must have spread. I must get out of here quickly. Moses was right. When the news reached Pharaoh, he sought to have Moses killed. But Moses ran away from Pharaoh until he reached the land of Midian, where he sat down beside a well. Family, Moses was afraid to go back. He was afraid to go back. And what we're reading here, this is just one possible 
reason why he's afraid to go back. And the reasons that he's afraid to go back, those very reasons, I'm going to tell you, no matter what the reason was, are not too far off from the reasons we are afraid to go back. A fear to go back. You know what I mean. A fear to go back to where you came from. A fear to go back and engage those people who used to know you back then. A fear to go back and engage folks that you used to call your own. A fear to go back and experience a culture that you used to know. A fear to go back to that place where you did your dirt. A fear to go back to that place that caused you pain. My man Moses is afraid to go back. And being afraid to go back is nothing different than we are. Sometimes we are afraid to go back. Moses did not leave Egypt on the best of terms. Say this with me. Importantly, though, God does not condemn Moses for being a bit scared. God doesn't condemn, condemn, condemn Moses for being a bit scared. And he don't condemn you for being a bit scared. Because a lot of times when you're scared, it's, it's justifiable human fear. Nonetheless, though, there is something deeper regarding Moses and his fear that we need to, need to explore today. I submit to each and every one of you that Moses' fear gripped him so tightly in his heart that that fear drove him to lie to God. There's no easier way for me to say it. There's no more direct way for me to say it. Fear, loved ones, is a slithery emotion. Fear is that thing that would have you look somebody in the eye and boldly tell them a bold-faced lie in their face. Fear will even have you tell a lie to the two living beings who know for a fact that you lie. You and God. Fear will have you lie to yourself. And fear will have you lie to God. I'm telling you, fear gripped Moses so bad that he's lying to God. Before we go on about Moses, though, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to take a quick leap forward into the New Testament. And y'all know how we do. We put a pause where we are in the old. We look, leap forward into the new. We're going to get ourselves a nugget of good insight, something we can take, grab, bring back to the old, and then we're going finish to up, finish up with Moses. I'm going to ask you to take a leap, leap, leap into the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter five. The book of Acts, chapter five, has the count or the story or the event surrounding a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira. 
Ananias being the husband. This thing leads in from the fourth chapter. And in the fourth chapter, what we have is we have a community of people who have made the decision that they're going to sell some of their properties and some of their material things to make or generate income. In return, the apostles, the apostles take that money, that income, and they use it to supply resources to people in the community who have need. To say it differently, what they've agreed to is people with more than enough will put resources or finances into an account, so to speak, for helping people who have lack. To me, that sounds like a good Christian community. If you grew up like me, I grew up in a small country town, you know about that kind of community where people put resources in together and they help each other. Miss Jackson house may grow collard greens. Mr. Williams house may have oranges and grapefruit. Somebody else's house might have black eyed peas and okra. But as they harvest those things, they put it in their cars and they put it in their trucks and they go around the house after house, bin after bin and say, listen, my family can't eat all this stuff. But we know you got three children. We know you got 12 children. We know that you, you haven't been in the store, store for a while. That's, that's an example of community. This is what they're trying to exemplify here. But jump into chapter 5, verse 1 for me. And let's go through this account real quick. In the Voice Bible, it says this. Once a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, fully cooperating, you got to understand that, fully cooperating, committed fraud. So they're, they're, they said they would help. They said they would do. He sold some property and kept some of the proceeds, so he didn't give it all back. But he pretended to make a full donation to the Lord's emissaries. Peter says, Ananias, have you allowed Satan to influence your lies to the Holy Spirit and hold back some of the money? Look, it was your property before you sold it, and the money was all yours after you sold it. Why have you concocted this scheme in your heart? You weren't just lying to us. You were lying to who? You were lying to God. Ananias heard these words and immediately dropped to the ground dead. Fear overcame all those who heard of the incident. Go to the next set. Some young men came, wrapped up the body, wrapped that body up and buried it immediately. About three hours had passed when Sapphira arrived. She had no idea what had happened. Peter asked her, he says, did you sell the land for such and such a price? She said, yes, that was the price. Peter said, why did the two of you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? In other words, why are you lying to? Do you hear those footsteps outside? Those are the young men who just buried your husband. And now they will carry you out as well. She, like her husband, immediately fell dead at Peter's feet. The young man came in and carried her corpse outside and buried it beside her husband. Why did we go through that account? We went through that account because 
I needed to establish a basis to make a statement. And the statement that I'm going to make and the statement I'm going to present to you, I wanted to make sure that I at least had some wording behind it so that when I told it to you that it had the right effect. Just so you know, many of you probably already know my wife and I are, are very much into relationship. Relationship, specifically we like to talk about the family relationship, the marriage relationship, the family network, and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times when I'm talking to you and I'm teaching to you, I may say, say some things and they may have some relational ties, but a lot of times I don't really stop you and say, hey guys, this is a relational key. Because it can apply to a lot of things. But then there are, all, there are moments that there are some things that I'm going to tell you that have direct relational insight. I call them relational keys. And I tell you at the onset what I'm about to tell you. <clears throat> Excuse me. What I'm about to tell you, I never want you to forget it because it is a relational key. If you hold on to this key and you apply it to your relationships, it will benefit you in your life. Family, this is one of those moments. What I'm about to share with you is a relational key, and I want you to please hold on to it. Ananias and Sapphira. I'm going to say it this way. Lied to God and dropped dead. That's what it says. That's how it reads. With that as the backdrop, I'm going to tell you this statement. The moment you begin to lie to the ones who really matter, something important in your life dies. Say that with me. Say the moment you begin to lie to the ones who really matter, something important in your life dies. Family, the moment a husband begins to lie to his wife, something important in his life dies. Something important in his marriage relationship dies. The moment a wife begins to lie to her husband, something important in her life dies. Something important in her marriage relationship dies. The moment a parent lies to his or her child, something important in that parent-child relationship dies. Something important in that parent dies. The moment a child lies to his or her parent, something important in that child dies. Something important in that parent-child relationship dies. The moment a person lies to his or her friend, Something important in that person dies. Something important in that friendship dies. The moment a boss lies to his or her employee. Something important in that boss dies. Something important in that boss-employee relationship dies. The moment a company lies to its patrons. Something important in that company dies. Something important in that company-patron relationship dies. The moment a pastor lies to his congregation, something important in that pastor dies. 
something important in that pastor congregation relationship dies. The moment you lie to yourself. Something important in yourself dies. Something important in the way you see yourself dies. The moment a believer lies to God. Something important in that believer dies. Something important in that believer's relationship to God dies. The moment you begin to lie to the ones who really matter. Something important in your life dies. Trust dies when you start to lie. Confidence dies when you try to when you begin to lie. Courage dies. Hope dies. Dreams die. When you begin to lie to the persons or the persons who really matter, things die. Positive expectation die. Joyous anticipation dies. When lying is your course, relationship dies. Vision dies. Having said that, take us back to Exodus chapter 3, right there in verse 11, the one that has verses 10 through 12. Having gone through that and returning back to Moses, Moses is preparing here to dodge God's request. When he says in verse 11, Who am I to confront Pharaoh and lead Israel's children out of Egypt? That's in the voice version of the Bible. He is preparing to dodge God's request because he does not want to go back to Egypt. Starting in verse in chapter three and going through most of chapter four, if you follow that conversation, Moses is ducking and dodging. He's really trying to get out of it until finally he wants to get out of the assignment so bad he just lies to God. Arguably, if he was to succeed, if he were to succeed in hiding from doing what God wants him to do, both what God has planned for his life and the deliverance that he has for the children of Israel are at risk. If Moses is able to lie his way out of doing what God wants him to do. Notice this. The monitor closest to you. You're going to have a statement. It's going to read, there is life associated with saying yes to God in season. What do I mean by that? When God asks you to do something in a particular season, the time to say yes is in that season. Saying yes to God in season secures life for something in that season. 
if you say no to God, when he presents you something in a particular season, you say no in that season, you must realize that you saying no in that season causes something else to suffer in that season. If you say no to God now, something else suffers now. Are we saying that God will never present you with another opportunity or another assignment or another mission? No, we're not saying that. God may very well present you with something else later. And you saying yes to God later will mean life for something else later. But as far as you saying no to God in this season, you saying no to God now. When you say no to God now, realize that something else suffers now or maybe even dies now because you said no in the season he asked you to say yes in. Family, there is life associated with saying God, saying yes to God in season. Sometimes we seem to master, though, at asking God to give us a moment. Come back to me when I'm ready. But when you put God's request on pause, you put at risk something else. All that being said, Moses is still determined to say no. And if we were to go through that conversation, what we would end up seeing is what he does is he gets himself caught up into fear's two-step process. Fear is going to take this boy through a two-step process. And the first part of fear's process to hopefully get him out of doing what God is going to ask him to do is that Fear is going to have him present some justifiable reasons why he can say no. And we've already gone through the reason that, listen, this man got a murder charge back in Egypt. So we understand that he may not want to go back because of that. We also are going to hear him say right now that, you know what, these people that you called me to deliver, they don't really know me. Look at this, Exodus chapter 4. Easy to read, verse 1. Moses trying to get out of it now. Then Moses said to God, but the Israelites will not believe me when I tell them that you sent me. They will say the Lord did not appear to you. Basically what he's saying to God is that God, these people don't know me. I'm going to go to them and tell them that you sent me. They're going to think I'm crazy. There are people, your children, you want me to go save. Them people, there's a whole bunch of them folk that don't know me. And as for the people who know me, God, I left there some 40 years ago. Those people are not going to see and respect me about anything. And as he's talking to God, I believe, I believe that God says to himself, you know what? That's justifiable. Why do I say that? Because God rolls right in and gives him a solution. 
he presents him with a set of miracles that he can do. And those miracles, we're not going to read it, but those miracles are there so that he says, God says, listen, when people say that you didn't come for me and I didn't send you, you do these kind of miraculous things for them and they will be able to say, oh, my, my goodness, they, they must this this. Oh, this man really did come from God. Now, I can imagine that when the fear in Moses saw God present him with a miracle that was going to still have Moses going to Egypt. I imagine the fear in Moses was like, mother, God say, excuse me. It's God's like, excuse me. Moses like, you know, I was thinking about my mother. Just my mother, you know, I haven't been there a long time back in Egypt. And mother fed me good. You know, I, I had I had two mothers two mothers in Egypt. So, you know, God, that's that's what I was thinking about my mother. You know, that's what the fear said. Ain't this a mother? That's what, that's what the fear was saying. When he saw them miracles, he's like, that didn't even get me. God, what the, you know what I mean? So not, not being able to shake God that way. Fear launches Moses quickly into the second step. Just lie to God. Just lie. Notice this. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, easy to read. Then Moses said to the Lord, but Lord, I am telling you, I am not a good speaker. I have never been able to speak well. And that, I, and, and that hasn't changed since you started talking to me. I am still not a good speaker. You know that I speak slowly and I don't use the best words. Moses is telling God here that he doesn't speak well. Basically, what he's saying is, God, I, I, I don't. This is the implication as I see it. I don't have the capacity to engage Pharaoh and his subjects. So Pharaoh and his people in such a manner that will be conducive to me being successful in what you're asking me to do. Now, I'm going to ask you to think back. We, remember a few sessions back, I told you that Moses had a call by God qualification resume? Let me show that again real quick. We're not going to go through all of it, but I want you to focus there on item three. Because on the third item, we have that Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, which essentially made him grandson to Pharaoh. Moses being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter bluntly stated means that he had the best education, training, development. He was he was a ruler's family tree person. Moses can talk to Pharaoh. He just don't want to. He's afraid to. He's lying. Family, I'm going to show you something. Because it's so critical that we understand that we will lie to God right in his face. In the book of Acts, there's an account. I'm going to take you forward real quick. 
of Stephen. They they often call him Deacon Stephen. And the high priest has asked Stephen to express himself regarding, you know, this faith that Stephen is operating in. Now, they got Stephen there because they really don't like Stephen. But he gives Stephen the floor. After Stephen is done, unfortunately, they stone him. But in the middle of his discourse, Stephen says something very, very particular that I want you to know as he talks about Moses. Now, we're not going to show you these back to back. We're going to pause between each one because I want it to sit in. Because remember, I'm telling this boy lying. Look at this first in the voice version of the Bible. Stephen is talking. Stephen says in the middle of his chit-chat, verse 20 through 22, Acts 7, into this horrible situation, our ancestor Moses was born. And he was a beautiful child in God's eyes. He was raised for three months in his father's home and then was abandoned as a brutal, as the brutal regime required. However, Pharaoh's daughter found, adopted, and raised him as her own son. Loved ones, verse 22. So Moses learned the culture and wisdom of the Egyptians and became a powerful man, both as an intellectual and as a leader. Now, just pause right there. Because we're, we're, we're almost there. That backs up the fact that we said that boy has some good training. But we're not quite there yet. I thank God, though, for whoever he gave the vision to create the Passion Bible. Because it's going to put it out there on a silver platter and slap it right into our face. Or should I say in Moses's face? The Passion Translation. Let's go. Then Moses came on the scene, a child of divine beauty. His parents hid him from Pharaoh as long as they could to spare his life. After three months, they could conceal him no longer, so they had to abandon him to his fate. But God arranged that Pharaoh's daughter would find him, take him home, and raise him as her own. So Moses was fully trained in the royal course and educated in the highest wisdom of Egypt, Egypt had to offer, until he rose as a powerful prince and a what? An eloquent orator. Moses tells God that he doesn't speak well. Stephen says Moses was fully trained in the royal courts and educated in the highest wisdom of Egypt that Egypt had to offer until he rose. That means he was he was in that thing, not just as a as a newbie, but he did it until he rose to something. Until he rose as a powerful prince, but not just as a prince. He rose to something else also. A person who could use his words masterfully, masterfully.
take me back to that Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Because Stephen's description of Moses is in stark contrast to what Moses is telling God. Moses told God here, Exodus 4, 10, easy to read. But Lord, I am telling you, telling him a lie, that's what you're telling him. Moses, I am telling you, I am not a good speaker. I have never been able to speak well, you lying heifer. <laughs> and that hasn't changed since you started talking to me. I tell you what has changed since you start talking to me. You went from a justifiable reason why you can't go to now you just flat out lying to me. That's what's changed. He says, I've never been able to speak well, and that hasn't changed since you started talking to me. I am still not a good speaker. You liar. Moses is flat out lying to God. And his lying is a subtle form of resistance. A lot of times when we think about lying, we think about it just lying. But what, when, you, when you lie to God, what you're doing is you're resisting him. And Moses is using that tactic. And guess what? He is not the only one that uses that tactic. We use it, too. When we lie to God, what we're really doing is resisting him. And in resisting him. We put stumbling blocks in our own way. Because what we sit around as believers and talk about is, hey, like 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 the name of this series. God, we want to experience a reality that's beyond good. Well, you cannot experience that reality by lying to God. There is a progression that goes with it. And we don't notice that progression. But let me show you that progression. Resisting God comes in the form of lying. Lying is resisting. Beyond good, really? Is that where you want to go? Look at the progression. Lying to God is a form of resisting his will. Resisting his will means you refuse to walk his path for you. Refusing to walk his path for you means you will not reach the destination he has for you. Not reaching that destination is regrettable. Because there, meaning that destination, is where you were to experience beyond good. And you said to yourself, Pastor, that's good, but how does one exactly lie to God? Loved ones, when you tell God you can't do something, after 
He has tapped you on the shoulder for the assignment. You just lied. Remember, just like Moses, before God called you, he already read your resume. Before God tapped you on the shoulder, he already concluded that you could. So when you, in turn, after getting the call, tell God what you can't do, you're lying. What you and I need to do is stop lying to God. We need to stop the lie that we can't do it because our age. Stop the lie that you can't do it because your race. Because when he called you, don't go there yet. So when he called you, guess what? He knew how old you were when he called you. He knew the color of your skin before he called you. He knew how you talked before he called you. Stop telling God the lie that you can't do it because of where you came from. He knew where you came from before he called you. Stop telling him you can't do it because the parent you had or because the parent you didn't have or because you were adopted or because your grandma did this. He knew all that. It was in your resume. He knew that before he called you. Stop telling God that. That you can't do it because of your circumstance. He was looking at you standing in your circumstance when he called you. Yes. He's already seen it in your resume. Stop telling him the lie that you can't do it because of what happened to you. The lie that you can't do it because of what you did wrong. The lie that you can't do it because you lack the resources. Stop telling him that lie. The truth is, you're afraid. And fear has you in a two-step process. The first part of that process, you might have had justifiable reasons. And guess what? If you have justifiable reasons, God don't condemn you for that. But to lie, when he's already tapped you on the shoulder, which is indication that you can it's not where we want to be. When God taps us on the shoulder, we are so quick to say no. When he's already told you yes. We got to stop lying, family. To put it in your face more directly. Now this slide, please. I want you, God wants you, to stop being so hell-bent on being the prophet of your own failure. When God taps you on the shoulder, he has already said you can. Once God has said it, that is the truth. Any other expression to the contrary, that is a lie. 
even if it comes from you. Stop being so hell bent on being the prophet of your own failure. God said you can. That should settle it. You don't reach beyond good by telling God what he can't do through you. How many times as believers have we opened our Bibles or had a message? We've said it out of our own mouth. All things are possible to them that believe. With our God, nothing is impossible. Oh, I guess nothing is impossible until he asks you to do something. I put myself in the same book. Come on now. I, 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 don't, I don't separate myself from you. The moment God says, you're the one. Just like he told Moses, I know you're scared. But you're not going to be doing this alone. He told Moses, I am with you. That means if you need resources. The big dog that owns a cattle on a thousand hills that created everything is riding with you. You got all the resources that you need. If you're a little afraid about people, the Bible tells me I'm not going to be afraid of man who could just take care of the flesh. I'm going to be afraid of God who can destroy the whole man, the soul, the spirit. You're with the person that's mightier than anything. I am your shepherd. In the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. You think you don't know enough? Well, how much do you think I know, God says? God says he will give you wisdom that confounds people. He'll put you in a room with people that got three and four PhDs and have something come out of your mouth where they be like, where did you get that from? And, and they'll, they'll, go to, they'll go to what they know. What school did you go to? Who did you study under? Can you tell me what training class did you take? And you just open your mouth and say, God told me. And it kind of it kind of pushed them back. What you mean God told me? You might not understand where I study, but I can tell you the teacher I get my information from is the same teacher that the Bible tells me in the beginning created everything. The Bible tells you that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God gives it freely. You, 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 you are getting a tap on the shoulder from God. And then lying and saying you can't do it because of where you came from. When the very. Uh, Let's say this way. You call yourself a born again believer. That means that you said yes to Jesus. That means that you believe Jesus came, that he died, 
that he resurrected, he went back, he sent back the Holy Spirit. You believe the Holy Spirit is in you. You actually say, I am like my big brother Jesus. If you really believe that, you talk about you can't do it because of where you came from. You say you can't do it because of what people are going to say about your background. The very spirit of the living God that lives in you that walked this earth in the form of Christ. My Bible tells me that people said, what good could come out of Nazareth? Jesus, that's just Mary and Joseph boy. He cannot possibly be who he claims to be. The very one that establishes our opportunity to get in this good relationship with God, that very person was said to come from a place in people's minds that produces nothing good. God masters in taking something that people look at as low. And using it for his purpose. I think there's a shepherd boy called David. His daddy said, you mean the runt? I mean, there, the prophet was like, I seen all these sons you got here. Don't you got anybody else? He didn't even have the confidence that David would be worth anything to even have David at the function. You go take care of the sheep. But the prophet says, mm -mm. God's looking for the heart that's not here. It's David. David. But we so want to be the prophet of our own failure. Telling God what we can't do. When once he called you, you can do it. And to say anything else is a lie. Now, we've been talking about lying to God. And I remember, I haven't forgotten, earlier, I threw in something. I don't know if you caught it. But I threw in a little, you know, a little something extra about you lying to yourself. Did you catch that? Guess what? When you lie to God on that on that previous progression, you keep yourself from reaching that reality that's beyond good. But you shouldn't lie to yourself either. For the same reason. When you lie to yourself, guess what? You keep yourself out of reaching that destination. Hmm? Of beyond good. Lying to yourself, you know, Paul says something once to the Galatians. I want you to look at this. I, I put it out of two, in two versions for you. Because we want to just get rid of all the lies. No more lies. If we're going to move forward, we, gotta, we, we just got to stop the lying. Paul says this, 
This is the NIV Bible for verse 7 and then the voice for versions for, for verses 6 through 8. Galatians 5, 7, NIV. Paul says, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who? The voice, verses 6 through 8. Here's the thing. In Jesus, the anointed, whether you are circumcised or not, makes no difference. What makes a difference is faith energized by love. Who has impeded your progress and kept you from obeying the truth? You were off to such a good start. I know for certain the pressure isn't coming from God. He keeps calling you to the truth. With that, just look at that for a second. Who cut in on you? Who impeded your progress? And he made sure he's just throwing there for good measure. Before you answer, it wasn't God. It wasn't God. Loved ones, when things go awry in our life, we are quick to blame God. We are quick to blame circumstances. We are quick to blame other people. But there is a reality that your papa pastor has to let you know. And that reality is this. The monitor closest to you, please. The reality is many times what gets you off track is the who called you. Yeah. What you want to do is you want to point your finger. You only have 10 fingers. You're pointing 12. You want to point fingers at everything and everybody else as to why things are awry in your personal space when the reality is the who who got you off track is you. as to make sure that we don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You might be a person who goes around proclaiming various reasons why you don't have your college degree. When the fact is, you don't have your college degree because every time you enroll, you end up dropping out. Every time you take a class, instead of you staying home to study, you go out with your friends. Every time you're supposed to be turning in an assignment by Monday, you spend Saturday and Sunday getting caught up on your Netflix. The person who's getting you off track is you. And guess what? The simple fact that you're pointing to everything else instead of you, you're lying to yourself. In order for you to get to the destination that God has for you, you got to stop lying to yourself. You tell the world that you don't have any friends when the reality is you're just not friendly. You don't have any friends because 
Instead of being a friend magnet, you're a friend repellent. Every time somebody gets close enough to you to even think about becoming a friend, and maybe they even start calling you their friend, you're so manipulative that you, you push them away. It takes some looking in the mirror. It takes some what they call soul searching. But your problem could be pointing to a who, but the who is a who called you. You say someday you want to get married. You say you want to really hold down a nice relationship, whatever the, whatever the thing is. And, and you, you, you come up with things. You say, you know what, as I, I'm a strong, powerful woman, I just haven't found a man who, who, can, who, can, who can handle me. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a man, I want certain things, and, and you know what? I, every time I meet a woman, she's just not up to my standard. Yeah. You say, you say, all, the, you say all the things, all the, this is why, and this is why I'm still by myself. I've got a list. And I'm, whatever, you, whatever you're saying to yourself. But if we were really able to examine it, the issue is not any of those things. The issue is you. For example, you self-destruct every relationship you enter. As the relationship is going forward, instead of you just enjoying it, you start to manufacture reasons why it won't work. Instead of just enjoying it, you spend your time searching through and pointing out things that are wrong. The you, the the who is you. You're blaming that man for things he hadn't done. The who is you. Instead of you being supportive to that woman, you take it upon yourself to be the public announcer of all of her faults. You're breaking her self-esteem every time you open your mouth. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't leave you because she just wanted to leave. She left you because you broke her. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't just one day wake up from a, a good thing and just say, I'm out of here. There was a progression. For the good or the bad family, I'm just saying, if we are going to get to where God wants us to be, We have to stop lying to ourselves, look at ourselves clearly, and realize that instead of lying and pointing to everything else on the exterior as to why we are where we are or why we are who we are, we have to take ownership and swallow the reality that the who 
may be you. Say this with me. To reach a better place, I must stop the lies. You must stop the lies. You and me both. And just so that I don't leave this unclear, or that I make it clear, I'm not just, when I say lies, I'm not talking about the lies like you, you, you say that you didn't do something, but you really did. I'm not talking about that kind of line. I'm not talking about the kind of line that you say you were an eyewitness and you ain't see a dog on stay. You know what I'm talking about, the people that they get a microphone to on the, on the news. I saw the whole thing. They slept through the <laughs> They weren't even home. And it happened in front of their house. I saw the whole thing. I'm not talking about that kind of line. And believe me, all lying in general, we need, to, we need to get rid of all that kind of lying. But so that we don't have any misunderstanding between us before we exit. Let me show you the two main lie categories here that I'm talking about. They're these. Family, I'm talking about the lies we tell God out of fear regarding what we cannot do through him. That's the first chunk of lies we're talking about. The next tranche, the lies we tell ourselves that blind us to the persons we really are. If we can take care of those two lies alone, just those two, understanding that, yeah, we shouldn't be lying in general. That should go without saying, but look at there, I said it. If we can take lying to God off the table and we can stop lying to ourselves and take that off the table, we'll be in a better place. And let me say that even simpler. If we stop lying to God by what we, that by what we can't do, we will be amazed by what he can do through us. Number one. If you stop lying to yourself and see yourself for who you really are. Then God can really make a change in you. But until you stop you and me, but you stop throwing these lies around in your life. You're going to struggle to reach that place beyond good. Final thing we'll say together today. I want you to say this with me because believe me when I say I want you to take this to heart because this is I really believe this with all my heart. Okay, here we go. Say this with me. Being truthful to God and being truthful to myself lightens my load Holistically and removes roadblocks as I journey to my destination that is beyond good. 
Loved ones, that's a wrap for the day. And it was, thank you. And it was a very necessary journey because sometimes we can get caught up and we could, you know, stand up, praise God, preach pastor and all this kind of stuff. And then you go right at that door and you be the same person. It really does you no good. James said it best. And I'm going I'm I'm to expand on James. But basically, this is Benjamin's version of James. How foolish can you be? to look at your own self in a mirror and then walk your behind away from the mirror and forget about what kind of idiot or nut or, or, or your issue was. Sometimes we get into a forum and people really do enlighten us and it, it enlightened us about ourselves. You're like, oh, I didn't know I was like that. But when we exit, we put back on that same man. In my spirit, what God is saying. And, and don't take this the wrong way because God, you know, Jesus said, how often shall I forgive my brother? You know, 70 times times seven times. But what God drops in my spirit is, wouldn't it be good for God just to wash you clean once? I mean... Wouldn't life be better than having to keep dealing with the same thing the next year? I mean, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be better to not find yourself in the same position that you said you weren't going to be in again? Take the wisdom that God gives you and apply it. That's when you find that life is no longer the same. If you're continually finding yourself in the same spot, something essential is not being changed the right way. But nonetheless, that was an important segment before we go farther and beyond good. Let's stop the lies, family. If God tells you you can do it, you can. And be real with yourself. How's that? Let's pray. God, there is never a time that we come together that you don't share words with us that benefit our life. What we want to do, God, is become better with applying what you share with us. In our individual selves, in our family, in our businesses, in our friendships, we want to be better in applying what you provide to us as wisdom and seeing our lives change positively because of it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your insight. 
we thank you for your grace, for allowing us to stumble and get up again. We don't take that for granted. At least we shouldn't. I also pray, God, that as we take a journey to understanding more of what you have called us to do, that we also do not hold ourselves in condemnation. You don't hold us in condemnation. The Bible says that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So even though we mess up, you're not condemning us for it. You're actually very happy and welcoming when we get back on our feet and get back on track. And that's my prayer. That each and every one of us, no matter where we currently stand in life, if where we stand we realize that it's not the place that you want us to be standing. That we simply begin to chart a course in your direction. And I thank you, God, that you will be with us side by side every step of the way to help us get there. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.